Welcome to our podcast, Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem, Laced with Morality, where all authors and experts are invited to share, learn, and together make this a better world where light pierces through the darkness with the spoken and written word. I'm really excited for our guest today. He is a guest on our expert series, season two here, and I had the honor of meeting him through a writer's group via his wife, his lovely wife. And our guest today is Sergeant Alan Jennings. Um, he currently works at the Clay County Sheriff's Office here in Jacksonville, Florida. And he was a former police officer um, at the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. He is a loving father and um, father is to two beautiful children and um, to his beautiful bride. But welcome. Uh, do we call you Sergeant Jenny? Thank you. Uh, Alan's fine. Alan, okay. Okay, so um, I'd like to just jump in today and uh, just just, at, just jump into our question and ask you a couple of questions because having a, a chat with you is so valuable for our writers of um, crime fiction um, murder mystery, suspense, and thriller because many of our stories involve police work. And um, so so that's why we're really excited to have you on and that's why you are an expert. But so can you describe your work for our audience? Sure. So like you said, I'm a, I'm a sergeant to the sheriff's office and I work in a patrol capacity. So I supervise uh, my primary squad is six members but it can uh, range from day to day depending on coverage up to uh, about 15 people and um, within the patrol function we handle primary response to all types of calls from neighbor disputes domestic disturbances uh, or the first response on dead bodies and murders we um, are usually the first response on uh, car crashes uh, things like that we also assist other agencies uh, from fire and rescue to uh, the department of children and families and stuff like that with uh, their investigations so patrol kind of is the uh, the backbone and the, the initial response to all things law enforcement um, in addition to that, I'm also uh, in our honor guard as a bagpiper and supervisor, and I also am a certified instructor teaching both at academy level and uh, advanced stuff through the sheriff's office. Oh, wow. That's quite a resume. Okay. Good. So what what is the biggest misconception that people seem to have about police officers? Well, um, and so in, in my opinion, the, the misconception that I come across most frequently would be um, our lack of training. Um, you know, I, I, I very much advocate for even more training than we do get, but we get a lot more than I think a lot of people realize. Not only do we have the academy, which requires... Um, you know, a certain number of hours worth of training to get through um, and have coverage. 
basic law enforcement topics and human relations topics and communication and stuff like that and and of course law but it also covers defensive tactics firearms first aid driving and uh, high liability issues like that but beyond the basic academy and getting certified most agencies when you begin with an agency there's going to be a period of time anywhere from a few weeks to a few months where you'll receive additional academy style training but more specific to the agency that you're at um, refreshers on high liability topics and things like that and then you move into the field training program where you actually do on the job training with a, a field training officer most agencies are using what's called the san jose plan where we go through uh, a 14 week process that involves multiple different training officers in order to take you from basically somebody that's never done it before to doing the job by yourself uh, so it's extremely intensive um that's actually another one of my functions is uh, i'm the field training supervisor for my shift so i also get to have hands-on training with the new recruits and stuff as they're coming out and help mold and shape uh, that process then beyond that we have annual recertifications in firearms and uh, first aid and certain other high liabilities um, our agencies will put us through additional training that they feel is necessary in florida in order to be a certified officer you have to maintain a minimum of 40 hours of uh retraining every four years and that's just a minimum and then of course through different academies and universities there are advanced and specialized courses that we can take depending on whether you wanted to go into homicide special victims uh financial crimes traffic homicide investigations you know any of that kind of stuff those all require additional training to truly be good at it so there's always training going on in fact as as a supervisor i have to um manage my squad's calendar so i I have i can only let so so many people off at any one given time well because of all of our block training and advanced training stuff like that it actually makes it very difficult sometimes to let people even have just a regular day off yeah we're always training i think we do a lot more that than most people realize okay wow so what do you feel is the most rewarding benefit to being in your position? Uh, the thing that gives me the greatest sense of reward is seeing a positive change in uh, individual lives within our community. Mm-hmm. Um, a, an example of that was recently we got dispatched to a, a residence where there was an allegation that somebody had a knife and was threatening to cause harm to themselves. Uh, this is an individual that law enforcement, actually both of the individuals are people that law enforcement's had multiple dealings with 
through the years, um, including sometimes uh, potentially violent scenes and sometimes even actually violent scenes. Um, so when we were when we arrived on this particular scene that day, having dealt with these people on on multiple occasions, I was able to quickly establish a rapport with them from previous interactions. And we were able to get a peaceful resolution to the situation. Turned out there wasn't the threat of violence that was initially reported, um, but we were able to get things calm. And, and by the end, everybody was kind of hugging it out, and we were able to um, leave without any major incident. Oh wow, that's a good, good happy ending. <laughs> it, it really was, and you know, I think. Being my my first interaction with these folks uh, as a as a rookie officer was fighting and um, people being passed out drunk and things like that. To be able to go from that type of an interaction to the interaction that I just described, it, it was it was rewarding to see that you know they recognized me and that recognition helped create a, a calmer situation and we were able to get a a peaceful outcome yeah. um, and so being able to see that kind of stuff happen in, in people that I've been dealing with on a regular basis is very uplifting yeah what, what do you see as the major challenges of your work I would say that probably the biggest challenge is um, kind of a, a threefold thing. Patience, number one, uh, on the part of myself or any law enforcement officer. Uh, it requires a lot of patience to deal with some of the situations that we deal with. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes we have to live up to very unrealistic expectations. Uh, you know, the community wants things out of police officers that can sometimes be almost contradictory. I feel like yeah. that what we see sometimes is people want that officer that's, for lack of a better term, officer friendly. You know, <laughs> polite and smiles all the time, and and that's great, and we always do strive for that. Right. Um, you know, polite professionalism. However, you know, it's difficult to see some of the things we see and deal with some of the things that we deal with and then go right back to being that uh, that polite professional that everybody wants to see. You know, yeah. uh, you know because especially in the patrol function, you know, one minute we may be responding to a dead baby, the next minute we're responding to an active shooter threat, and then we're responding to somebody that's calling to complain because their landlord did something that they didn't like. Oh, wow. And and, and so, you know, we, we can run the full gamut of different types of calls throughout a single shift, and we're, we're not supposed to let one of those calls affect how we handle the next call. But it can be a lot psychologically to see some of those calls and to 
hold it all in and not respond. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, and so that kind of requires us to be all things to all people at all times. Um, and, and that's that's a lot to hang on to. Uh, yeah. And so I, I'd say that's probably my greatest challenge because sometimes at the end of the day, having to be all of those different things and you know, hold all of my emotions and my thoughts and feelings and everything in check. At the end of the day, it's, you know, you can be a bit of an emotional wreck. Yeah. That's something to think about, which, which is, which is unique to the profession. And I, I think sometimes maybe people fail to humanize uh, police officers you know definitely yeah well can you describe for us a movie tv show and or book that does an accurate job portraying a law enforcement officer and and if so what about that um, particular product made it believable so i i actually kind of like this question i don't think there's any one show or movie or book that i've ever read that just got everything absolutely right yeah um and i think some of that's just because you know an author a writer a producer they've got to mold things to what sells and let's face it paperwork is boring nobody's gonna want to sit and watch an episode of law and order (laughs) for example where you know they're writing three hours worth of reports (laughs) Um, but I, I would say that uh, there there have been a few shows and um, at least one movie over the years that I've really taken a liking to because they tend to be more accurate than some of the others. Um, as far as movies go, I'm a big fan of the movie End of Watch. Um, now, it is a very violent and fast-paced movie, um, but I, I did appreciate... Um, the the pacing of the film mm-hmm. um, very much was realistic because you know it, it would portray for example you know these two guys you know in a car together patrolling they're joking about some personal event in their lives and then you know within a split second they're in a gun battle wow and, okay um I've never fortunately had to shoot anybody or shoot at anybody in my career, Mm -hmm. but I've had many instances that were very, very close to that. Um, I've had several instances where, um, you know, if I've got a five pound trigger, I was at four pounds on the trigger pull it it was very close um and it was very fortunate that things were able to be de-escalated but um it can happen just that fast of one second everything's fine and you're just having a conversation to the next second uh you know the the fecal matter circulating the circulating air movement device um i also like uh a few tv shows um the wire NCIS, Law and Order, and Southland, and I think those all do a different uh, 
are, are, are good for different reasons. Um, mm-hmm. okay. One of the things I liked about some of those was that some of them do portray the paperwork. They, they don't maybe show the hours of sitting and typing, yeah. but they, they at least allude to it or they show the guy with the stack of paperwork that he just says he finished writing or something like that. <laughs> okay. You know, because, you know there, there's always movies that are fun, you know, like 80s cop buddy, buddy cop movies. Um, yeah. They're, they're great and all, but nobody gets to just run and gun all across the city and then not have to write a report about that. Yeah. Um, so I, I do appreciate he's showing some of that stuff. Or, uh, you know, even just the the procedural aspects of what we do—that it's not just all about the the high stakes action and fun stuff, as it were. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay, that's that's good. So for us out there who write this kind of stuff, but so I heard I heard watch uh, movie that um, and then TV shows The Wire, NCIS, Law and Order, and you, did you say Southland? Yes, ma'am. Okay, wow. Okay, so what is the best way for authors to do proper research on the role of an of an officer? Well, um, I think there's a few things that authors can do. Um, number one is ask to do ride-alongs, um, especially if you're trying to portray a specific agency, try to do ride-alongs with that agency. Um, most agencies will allow for civilians to do uh, some sort of a, a ride-along or observer program where you can basically watch an entire shift from that officer's perspective and kind of see what they do and how their day goes. Um, I would also say um, if, you, if you were going to do something like that, consider doing more than one and try to get different days, different shifts, and even different assignments because patrol is going to have a very different look to it than a robbery homicide detective or a special victims detective. Um, you know, even uh, corrections. I started my career in a correctional facility and that type of a daily job is going to be very different than what patrol does. So um, I think ride-alongs or, or work-alongs, observer programs, things like that are excellent ways to see firsthand what it is that we do. Um, beyond that, I, I would recommend just asking questions. Um, you know, most of us tend to be type A personalities, and so we like mm-hmm. to talk about what what it is that we do. We like to talk about ourselves. We like to um, share those things with other people. And so I, I would say, you know, the, the more perspectives that you can get when delving into that, the the better it would be. Yeah, that's really good. What what is a pet peeve? about how some authors, you know, producers, writers um, in general of TV shows, movies and ex- books, etc., incorrectly represent officers like their job and or the force. And what are some examples of things they commonly get wrong? Well, I think one of the things um, I, I've already kind of touched on is paperwork. Um, 
a lot of times you don't hear or see any sort of portrayal of the paperwork that goes into being a law enforcement officer because it, it's it's more than just a ticket or a report um you know writing search warrants or um arrest warrants things like that require more paperwork um and it's one of the reasons i i mentioned the wire before um while there are a lot of portrayals in there on the criminal side that uh you know for, as as a christian may not be something that you want to see and look at um one of the things that i did like is that as as they were attempting to get the uh the warrant so that they could do the the phone taps you, you saw them sitting at typewriters uh nowadays it would be on a computer but still you know yeah and and then you know the the stacks of paperwork that are you know inches thick or you know boxes of paperwork that sometimes go into a, a full investigation it's not just a single page um, so I, I think that a lot of times that gets overlooked um, and then I think the other thing that kind of I, I see a lot of being misportrayed is this idea that we're all the same that mm-hmm. you know all cops have the same attitudes or something like that you know just like any other workforce we're a very diverse group of people we come from many walks of life you know we've got folks who are very much into fitness we've got people who are very good with numbers um we've got people f- from you know average intelligence all the way to to folks that are um genius or savant level uh intelligence so um you know plus you know the the demographic differences of you know male female racial differences you know we 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 span across really every area of our community and so i i think that um that should be portrayed well when people are trying to show what it is law enforcement is and does mm-hmm. that's good okay and then getting into some of the nitty gritty can you describe for us how a crime scene is set up sure so um you know with with most crime scenes you're going to have um if if they're able to the the, the officers are going to try to have both an inner perimeter and an outer perimeter um and, and some of this kind of depends on what type of crime scene you're looking at um because obviously the bigger the perimeter is the more manpower intensive it is to to maintain that perimeter and scene security um but usually you're going to see um lots of crime scene tape um you know the, the crime scene tape is extremely important because people have a right to be 
and move freely in public and that includes the media and you know so if there's something that we don't want the media getting pictures of then we've got to um set up our our scene large enough that we're blocking that out or we need to set up uh shields so one of the things that uh some of our crime scene detectives or crime scene investigators have is um basically it's a portable wall it's collapsible steel rods with a uh a fabric that gets placed up and so basically we can kind of create like temporary walls around certain portions of our scene um because really our our goal isn't when and, and i know i mentioned blocking the media from seeing things it's sometimes we do that because we you know we don't want a picture getting out into the public yet but usually the vast majority of the time our our scene is size is set based on where we might find evidence or what evidence we're looking for you know i'm not going to just block off six blocks just so that the media can't see um i, I do believe that people have a, a right to to know and the media's big in helping us let the people know what's going on mm-hmm. but you know if a sometimes a scene might be very small a crime happened in this one spot and all the evidence is right there within a few feet of it sometimes we have a scene that involves you know a car that was traveling at a very high rate of speed and you know it can span a few blocks or a few miles even and so we have to take all of that into consideration when we're trying to protect that scene um and so sometimes when you're talking about how a scene is set up or what people might be seeing you might see officers standing around well they're standing there but they're not just standing there because they don't want to do anything they're standing there to provide security for that portion of the scene or to keep people from trying to come into the scene um you know sometimes we'll have to direct traffic uh vehicular and pedestrian traffic around a portion of a scene um and then of course in addition to all the marked patrol units and flashing cars providing for uh scene security or um traffic control and things like that you'll also have your crime scene technicians there that'll be usually in some sort of van or large vehicle that, you know so they can transport all of their stuff around and then your unmarked detective cars you'll see a lot of those at some of your bigger scenes um and, and so a, a large crime scene if you're looking at a murder or you know something like that may look something like that but then sometimes you might have a, a small crime scene of you know just one patrol car and you know maybe not even any tape because you know we've already photographed and collected the evidence you know there wasn't okay. much so some of that kind of depends on um what exactly the crime is is um okay i i, I hope i answered your question okay yeah, yeah that was that was excellent yeah um and can, okay so this is a big question for us um walk us through the steps of a murder investigation okay um well there's a lot of different things that go into a murder investigation um 
I've never been a homicide detective, so I I can't necessarily speak to all of the intricate details. But usually, uh, uh, an investigation is going to start with some sort of a patrol response. Um, either, you know, somebody heard something or saw something and called it in, or, you know, an officer just happens to be passing by and sees a dead body or something like that. Um, sometimes it's, hey, I haven't heard from this family member in a while. Can somebody go check on them? You know, we go knock on the door, you know, one thing leads to another. Um, so at the point where we then have, you know, we've got a dead body, um, at least here in the state of Florida, all deaths are treated as a homicide until they're ruled otherwise. So, um, whether it was something that appeared natural until we can confirm with a doctor that yes, it's a natural death, we're still going to treat it like a homicide. So we're still going to, you know, limit who's allowed to be near the body and things like that. Um, a lot of times, you know, those scenes are going to move a lot slower and, the reason why we slow things down on a scene like that is because we don't want to miss evidence Uh, okay so depending on the the size of the agency and the resources they have at their disposal it can be you know one of the first things we're going to do is block the scene and and start documenting and that documentation can be as little as photographs and scene sketches all the way up to um, some agencies have laser 3D scanners that will um, map the entire area digitally and so they can actually then go back later and reconstruct the the scene in 3D um, on their computer so we'll, we'll see varying levels but usually they're going to try to do as much documentation as they can. They're going to really try not to touch anything until things have been photographed or scanned or whatever it is they're going to do. And then, then they'll move into evidence collection. That can be um, looking for things that don't belong on the scene uh, all the way to looking for uh, evidence of, of, you know, gunshots if necessary or um, things like that. We're going to look for DNA and stuff like that Um, because all all of that stuff, once we start touching and moving things, they can, that evidence can be lost. And so it's very, very important that we take the time during that initial scene to gather as much evidence as possible. Okay. Um, once the evidence is gathered from there, um, the detectives really, really just kind of take the investigation as, as their leads, uh, direct them. Um, I've seen some investigations where, you know, as soon as they had the person identified, um, it was a matter of, 
a few minutes to a few hours for them to be able to locate and identify possible suspects and then even make arrests to ones that have taken uh, months to, to develop a suspect. And so some of that just depends on how fresh the scene is, how much we know about the person, how much other people are willing to cooperate with us in that investigation. Um, but one, once the once the, the victim is identified, um, you know, and any witnesses are identified, stuff like that, then then the investigation goes to attempting to identify suspects and um, and building a case. It's more than just looking for a smoking gun. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes murder cases are built on what someone might just consider circumstantial evidence but circumstantial evidence doesn't mean that it's not evidence or that it doesn't matter um but sometimes that's all we've got so um so so then how are how are dead bodies identified what are the legal ways that they're identified well um Again, after the scene has been documented and everything like that, um, sometimes a, a, a body can be ID'd simply by pulling the wallet out of the back pocket and um, seeing their government-issued ID and looking at them and going, yep, that's them. Um, sometimes um, if, we, if we don't have that kind of identification information right there, um, it can go to... Uh, trying to get their prints, um, which can sometimes be easy. Sometimes it can be a little bit harder. Uh, not everybody's in the system. Um, yeah. Not only that, but you know, if the body's in various states of decay, sometimes you can't get prints. Oh wow. Um, so, with stuff like that, they'll also look to uh, scars, marks, and tattoos, other visible things that may help identify the person. Um, dental records, DNA, and then sometimes um, we might be looking for a missing person. And so we'll look through those missing persons reports and try to track down people that fit the description uh, within those reports. And then um, go into family members and stuff like that. And so sometimes, um, like I said, sometimes it can be quite simple. Sometimes it can require a, a lot more to uh, identify that person. In. Okay. Right. And have you, have you ever attended an autopsy? If so, could you briefly describe how it all goes down? I have. So I've actually uh, attended several autopsies. Um, oh. I, I went to some was in the academy. Um, I've been to several as a traffic homicide investigator. Um, so when, when you go to the medical examiner's office for an autopsy, uh, you basically kind of get to stand there in the room while the, the doctors, uh, cutting into the person and um, 
this is one of the things that I think uh, NCIS did a really good job with is uh, showing that portrayal with their uh, their autopsy room. Uh, right. Now the the autopsies that I've seen didn't necessarily have you know all the X-ray stuff right there with it, but um, as far as the, the process of the autopsy, uh, you, you would see the doctor you know opening up the, the thoracic cavity and you know um using like tree limb loppers to to cut the ribs open um and remove that uh chest plate and then um you know they'll remove the organs they'll weigh them they'll look for any signs of uh, trauma or um, health-related defects. Um, you know, when they open up the the head, you know they they cut the the scalp and basically pull it back, and then they use a bone saw to cut open the the skull cap and pull it off. Um, I hope I'm not being too gross, but. You know, no. In describing People write you know, this stuff, yeah, yeah, we need to hear it. Yeah. It's kind of interesting when when they pull the skull cap off. Um, there's like a a suction and pop noise as that uh, detaches from the brain and the membranes and all that inside. Um, wow. Yeah, so that that's very, you know. Those are things that I'm even reliving right now, just talking about it. It's stuff that sticks with you. Um, I've been to autopsies where, you know, um, I had had one in particular where I was doing a uh, child homicide investigation and um, the medical examiner after weighing the brain told me, hey, you're missing part of the brain and was able to tell me about how much brain matter was missing. And um, when we finally got it, the the car was severely crushed. It was a very bad scene, but we ended up finding part of that material inside the car um, at a later time. What? Yeah. Um, So, um, you know, but that was just a very neat thing to me because, you know, they know approximately what these different organs should weigh and so um you know they're able to tell if something's missing or doesn't look right um you know and the ones that i've been to i've seen autopsies on car crashes and gunshots and um natural deaths but the person was decomposed and uh so they had to do an autopsy to confirm that it was natural and stuff like that so it's kind of interesting to see them uh you know being able to look at the exterior of an organ or sometimes having to cut into the organ and then telling you yes this is what's wrong with that particular organ and why they died even with, even with a decomposed body and sometimes it depends on the, the state of decomposition because um, that was another thing one of the doctors showed me one time is just the 
the different tissues decompose at different rates and so they can tell about how long a, a body's been uh dead by which tissues were decomposed and which ones not. okay wow so so obviously you've seen a dead body on the job can you can you describe what that experience is like using the five senses yeah, so, um, you know, for anybody who's ever seen a, a dead body, um, especially whether it's, especially if it's one that they're somebody that they know or something like that, um, I, I think one of the biggest things that you'll see is that, you know, the, the lifeless body uh, appears hollow. Yeah. Um, it's I, I don't really know m- much in the way uh, of sound other than some of the sounds of, again this can be a little bit disgusting but you know I, I've been to scenes where the person has begun to decompose and, and there are bodily fluids leaking into the carpet or something around them and as, as you're walking to the body your your boots are literally squishing in the the carpet that's soaked in their uh bodily fluids so that can be wow a little bit unnerving to hear that and recognize what it is um, yeah smell and taste kind of go together um as, as we know um the those two senses are, are very closely linked um recently deceased bodies you know don't typically have much in the way of smell but um decomposed bodies definitely have a unique smell Mm. and i've been on ones that you know were just beginning to decompose and so you you could smell it but it wasn't really bad all the way up to ones that you know you could smell from the road and the closer you got the stronger it got you know and and you can just it kind of gives you almost a rancid taste in the mouth even just uh just from the smell of it Um, you know some people are able to handle it better than others uh some people you know end up vomiting from the the very intense smell that uh exists sometimes and things like that yeah. Um, and then feel uh, wow that's um so many different things that you can feel you know sometimes if the body's in rigor um you know everything is locked up and stiff and so um even even if you feel the the skin move or flex or whatever under your touch the the body as a whole uh, mm-hmm. it is very unnaturally rigid um, okay. because it's you know it's different than if somebody were just trying to hold still yeah. um, that's that's very descriptive sure. uh, what, what are, so going on to another subject what are some 
ideas, themes, or action events in your line of work you believe would translate into a great thriller slash suspense novel? Well, um, I, I think murder is obviously one of the, the easy themes um, just because number one, it's one of the more offensive things that we can deal with and so because of that it tends to make for good uh good storylines it, it can capture people's attention um I'm, I'm, oh, okay I, I struggle sometimes because you know my, my wife is the creative one not me um <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right Jennifer is, a, is an amazing writer but but would you ever consider putting some of your experiences into a book one day um, I, I've thought about it in the past um, but I, I don't know it's, it's difficult for me because sometimes when when I start thinking about, oh, you know, I should write this down and, you know, this might be worthwhile to come back to and revisit at a later time. Then I, then I start second guessing myself or saying, yeah, nobody really wants to read that or hear about that. Um, you know, cause it's, I, I've talked with folks before about my job and stuff like that. And usually when people start asking questions of a cop, you know, the, the questions that they always seem to go to are the, you know, what's the craziest thing you've ever done? What's the weirdest call? What's the strangest call? What was the most exciting call? You know, yeah. it, it's always the, the superlative of the, the unique, the danger, you know, stuff like that. They, they don't really want to know about the the day in and day out life of law enforcement. Yeah. Right. Like the yeah. impact it could have on you personally, you know. Definitely. And, and it really does. Um, you know, it, it's changed me over the years. Um, it's it's changed the way that my wife and I interact and relate to each other. Um, and, and so we've had to to learn and grow with that in, in relation to um, not only our relationship, but how I interact with my children. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and, and there's some times where there's just, there's things that I don't want to remember. Um, mm -hmm. You know, things that I've lost sleep over. Um, and the, the last thing I want to do is, you know, relive it again to, to about it. Wow. Now, would you? Um, so, would you be able to answer this this last question here? As you know, the um, the title of our podcast is "Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem: Laced with Morality." What words of wisdom can you share with our audience regarding lacing their lives and books with morality? Well. Um... I think it all comes down to balance. Um, you know, it, it's 
my wife and I uh, comment all the time that people don't people don't normally call the police to tell them that things are going great and they just wanted to share how awesome their day was. Right. People usually call us because you know their life is in mayhem, their life is in turmoil, and you know they they're calling us because they expect us to bring order to that chaos. Um, portraying that like portraying some of the other dark sides of humanity isn't always easy uh, sometimes it's grotesque sometimes it it can unsettle the nerves um, yeah I think if it's being done for the right purpose and in the right way it, it can it can serve legitimate means um, I, I think there there is room for those portrayals in the art of fiction writing and stuff like that but I, I think it needs to be balanced with you know if you're a Christian you know these aren't the kinds of things according to scripture that we're supposed to dwell on mm -hmm. um so I, I think you know if, if you're going to portray you know a, an issue involving a murder or involving a sexual assault of some sort or things like that um that you, you balance the the portrayal of that specific act by maybe not going into all the necessary details of the act um, you know but balancing it with what are the outcomes what you know how how are people's lives affected by it how um, can things be be better or different because of it um Yeah, that's good though, because it because you do want to be. Even though I love this particular genre, I always want to make sure that we're peppering and lacing our words and our writing consciously, and gearing people toward what's right. What can we learn from this, so that it's just not glorifying violence. Absolutely. And glorifying evil. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, it, it's actually um, kind of a timely thing. So I, I'm working on my bachelor's degree um, and I'm having to take an English composition and rhetoric class this semester. And the, the first assignment we had to do was a uh, rhetorical analysis about the letter written by Kurt Vonnegut to the Drake School Board in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. uh, and this letter was written in November of 1973 about the Drake School Board censoring Mr. Vonnegut's book called uh, Slaughterhouse-Five and several other books and, and actually burning those books in the school's furnace. Wow. Um, and so Mr. Vonnegut uh, writes this letter to the school board chairman uh, specifically stating why he's offended by this action and um, why he believes it to be improper. Well, after doing my rhetorical analysis, uh, 
we had a discussion board uh, thread on it and I got to have a, a an interesting conversation because somebody else brought up the topic to me one of the things mentioned in the letter was um, you know if you're a real American you'll allow the free exchange of ideas not just your own and I'm paraphrasing that but yeah. um, you know the the question that was posed to me in the discussion board was well how do you balance that with morality and uh you know a christian worldview and so I, I part of my reply was that essentially you know as a law enforcement officer and a christian i have to balance that kind of stuff every day because you know as a christian we sh- were not to to dwell on things that are not uplifting and you know building the spirit but as a law enforcement officer i have protect people's constitutional rights which means that you know i I have to protect their right to to say things to think things to express things and um you know whether that expression in writing portrays homosexuality or the violence and murder that was existing or whatever you know we have to find that balance of you know that stuff is going to be out there we can't pretend like it doesn't exist Mm -hmm. but like you said it doesn't mean that we have to glorify it Um, we we can acknowledge it we can acknowledge the the wretchedness of it um but I think as Christians, our, our job is to, um, you know, contrast that with a life in Christ and, you know, how he sets us free from those things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Wow. Well, in, in, in closing, I want our, our listeners to please um, don't ever forget our law enforcement community and being and being you know, in, in your thoughts and your prayers and then against immorality and, and evil and protecting them. And uh, we want to thank Sergeant Allen Jellies for coming out and hanging out with us. We learned a lot from him. And so audience, let's not forget to use our words to pierce through the darkness. <laughs>